Putting it mildly, the last year or so has been really weird. If you remember a year ago at this time, still in the relatively early stages of the pandemic, the number one topic in the college football world was whether or not a 2020 season would even happen. It was infuriating, confusing, and all around just a huge bummer. The shuttering of my favorite and most important institution was not only on the table, at times it felt like it was probable. Fortunately, the adults in the room did win out in the end, and the 2020 season was a go. Unfortunately for me, the malaise of the summer carried into the season. Simply put, I had never been less excited for OU football in my life. Now, this fact alone did make me very sad. OU football is my happy place. It's the calm in the storm, the light through the fog, or any other cliched metaphor you want to throw out there. And don't get me wrong, weird, heavily altered OU football is better than no OU football at all, and I'm grateful that the 2020 season was pulled off with relatively few problems. But just like everything else in the age of COVID, college football turned into a weekly reminder of how screwed up everything was. I was still fired up watching OU beat Texas, was fired up watching that defense improve every week, and I was fired up to see a six consecutive Big 12 title. But at least for me, that fire that has burned deeply inside for a vast majority of my life was snuffed out a bit during the 2020 season. Much to my chagrin, that feeling lasted into the Cotton Bowl blowout of Florida, it lasted through the cold, dark winter, and I even still felt it a little bit during the spring. And then, the last two weeks happened. It's much more than the excitement of OU moving on to greener pastures or the prospects of playing a bunch of new teams and a bunch of new stadiums. For the first time since the pandemic began, we weren't talking about college football in the context of that virus. What the SEC move did was snap the rest of the college football world out of that COVID malaise. We weren't talking about the impact of the pandemic on the sport anymore. We were talking about the health of the sport as an institution. Just like that, the fire in my belly has returned. And just like that, I looked up and it was time for fall camp. Now, the SEC move is fun, and I'm sure we're going to have some residual thoughts about that as the season goes on, but it's time to shift our attention to Oklahoma football for the 2021 season, and that's what we aim to do today. Perhaps it's fitting that OU may have their best team in recent memory during the season that ushers college football into a new era. Always trailblazers, always defining the sport, we wouldn't have it any other way. College football is back, and not a moment too soon. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Patrick is the tailback behind Paul Thompson, and Thompson sets to throw. Perfect strike! Touchdown, 66 yards. He beat Courtney Gretzby. December 2006, the Big 12 Championship game in Kansas City. Paul Thompson to Malcolm Kelly on a double move. 66 yards for the touchdown. The Sooners beat Nebraska 21-7, winning their fourth Big 12 title. Fast forward about 15 years, and Oklahoma now has 14 Big 12 championships. What's up, everybody? It's August. We've got football straight ahead of us. OU reports to fall camp on Thursday. First practice is Friday. Coming up on the show today, Grant and I will run through all the interesting storylines surrounding the Sooners as they enter fall camp. Plus, 
Oklahoma's officially heading to the SEC. All that's left to discover is when will the Sooners say goodbye to the Big 12? We'll save that topic for the end of the podcast. But before we get going, haven't done this in a while. Just want to say thank you to all of you who continue to listen to West of Everest and who continue to jump in and comment and leave us thoughts and takes on the, fa- uh, on the West of Everest Facebook page. And also, if you're bored at all at home or one day or you got some time to pass and uh, you want to leave us some nice things on iTunes, that's great. You can leave us a rating and or a review. I, uh, I've heard that more positive ratings and reviews helps grow the show within iTunes and also potentially helps more Sooner fans get exposed to the West of Everest podcast. But most importantly, thanks again to all of you who listen every single time we drop a new episode into your podcast players. It means a lot to Grant and I that you take the time to tune into what we have to say about Oklahoma football. And our goal as the 2021 season gets here is to continue providing you with smart, nuanced, interesting, and entertaining Oklahoma and also general college football talk for yet another year. So with that, it's time to welcome back in Grant after the opening take. All right, Grant, we're heading into what I'm calling season five of West of Everest. We began this podcast around this time four years ago before fall camp in 2017. And thanks to all the listeners out there, this show continues to exist. I got to tell you, in TV terms, Lee, season five is typically when shows kind of start to uh, to fall from their peak a little bit. We're going to have to make sure Go that off doesn't the rails. Happen. We're going to have to make sure. That, is it typically, well, good... right? <laughs> typically, most shows kind of peak in the middle of the fourth, end of the fourth season. And a lot of the times they just kind of just fall down to earth. I'm mostly talking about Game of Thrones, of course. Um, <laughs> it, we never move on. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. So fortunately, we've had since this podcast has existed, Oklahoma has been relevant every single year in college football starting in 2017. I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. If we would have done this podcast in like, let's say, what, 2011 through 2014, was anybody going to be listening to that show? Because I wasn't paying much attention to OU football during that time, but I've heard it was not that fun. At least, I guess you probably watched it all the time because you're a huge fan. I, I thought it was great. I, I loved that. I, I, I loved those four <laughs> or five years. It's like, there's see, that's actually kind of the funny thing. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, a lot of people talk about the early, like the beginning of the 2010s as, like, as OU's like, quote-unquote down period in the last couple of decades, just goes to show you how amazing OU football is, that that is a down period. And those four, like, and those, that date range that you mentioned, Lee, they only, they only didn't win double-digit games once out of those. And even that season, they really weren't that bad. They just, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that went right the year before went wrong in that season. And that just kind of happens sometimes when, when you're not recruiting at a top 10 level, like they weren't anymore at that time. Um, I, I think it's funny that you brought up 2011. That was the season they started the, the year number one. They were number one in the country. How did that season end? Who was the quarterback in 2011? Was it uh, Landry? Was Landry Jones still there? Yep, that was yeah. that was Landry's junior season. Uh, they um, that season ended with a win over Iowa in the Insight Bowl. That was the Insight Bowl year, and then they were so then 2012. I, Oklahoma been, was is that when they ended up losing to A and M in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, twenty two. So they went. Uh, they were ten and two in the regular season that year. Um, lost to A and M in the Cotton Bowl. Twenty thirteen. I think. I think actually the twenty twelve team was the worst team out of all of those. To, to be totally honest with you, um, I think head to head twenty fourteen is better than twenty twelve. Um, 
the best team the, the best team out of there was the 2011 team um, maybe not in terms of record and how it happened I know 2013 they beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl of course uh, but that 2011 team was a top 10 team in the country uh, when Ryan Broyles was healthy so my main gripe is I just and I mean whatever no offense but um, they were not realistically really, competing for national championships at that at that time well I wasn't going to go that way I and I'm just I'm I'm not sad I missed out on watching a lot of Blake Bell quarterback teams and a lot of Trevor Knight quarterback teams. I saw Trevor Knight at Texas A&M. It it was it was wildly mediocre and at times above average, but mostly mediocre. And I've seen some old Blake Bell stuff, and that just that style is not interesting to me. So jumping in with Baker Mayfield, and then what we've seen since then has been a, a treat to watch. And I'm glad I, I I was kind of dialed dialed out during the uh, the post-Landry era up until Baker Mayfield. That's all I got. That's, that's the main reason why. Yeah, you know, you, you weren't missing much during the 2014 season. Um, P. Ryan had a really, really good year. That was kind of the... That was sort of the best part about that season. Um, that's the season that that is pretty much defined by the two massive blowouts. that uh, Baylor blew them out in Norman. Um, and they oh, and then yeah, and then yeah. Clemson absolutely destroyed them in in, in Orlando, uh, but other than that, they um, they lost I think by like eight on the road uh, against TCU, a team that was definitely good enough to be in the playoff that season. And that and, th- and that game was extremely close until the end. TCU iced it like on a pick six uh, with like less than three minutes to go in the game. Um, and then the other, I'm trying to think. Of, Kansas State uh, beat them in Norman that season, which. Uh, uh, Kansas State definitely had a horseshoe up their butt in that game. Um, that's that, that was the one where Michael Honeycutt missed a couple of kicks from inside the five yard line, and that was yeah. that was the reason they lost. Uh, and that's and then, the reason why you you abhor college kickers. That game. It's one of the reasons. It's one of the reasons. <laughs> that was and of the, course, that's also the that, that's also the <laughs> famous Bedlam re-kick game too. So really, that team probably should have been ten and two at the end of the regular season. Um, losing to TCU and Baylor. That's probably how good that's that's probably how good that team was that season. They just had some things go their way. I, I don't I don't think in, in terms of like head to head roster, I don't think twenty fourteen is the worst team of the last you know, since two thousand. I, I just don't. It's probably two thousand five. All right, that is enough reminiscing about the past. Let's get into the present. And that's a twenty twenty one team. Fall camp storylines. We've got four topics leading into fall camp plus a couple of other topics that are more related to a general Oklahoma season preview discussion. We're going to punt those for later because, unfortunately, we have uh, not much time for this episode. We got started a little bit late today, so this is going to be a, a bit of a shorter podcast, so we're going to save some topics for later, but we're hoping to get through all of the fall camp stuff. I know some of you posted on the West of Everest Facebook page. I'm not sure if we're going to have time to get to all of that. I will try. If not, we will put it in the next episode. So with that, let's begin. Fall camp storylines. Number one, first prompt I have for you, Grant, from now until week one, if you are allowed to only cover one and only one storyline, which storyline would it be? All right. So tell me if I'm cheating here for a bit, but I'm kind of, I have like sort of a, I have a sentence here to, to, to sum this up. Cause like when you ask this question, I think, you know, what's the theme of the season? Like what is, what's kind of like the missing piece to, you know, this potential national championship run that they want to go on? And so here's a sentence I wrote. Can Spencer Rattler and the entire offense as a whole take that next step? 
that's the storyline. Because if 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 they can do that, especially go ahead. Well, the so that so you're you're saying they need to take the next step in the next month before week one. Well, so I mean that's just the that's they need to take it. I mean that's all throughout the spring, all throughout the off season. Like that's the that's the story. Like I know everyone's. This is like, like an all. In, this is an all encompassing storyline, though. This is a this is a thing for the entire season. I just I want to know what you're going to be looking for the storyline and all of fall practice. Oh, okay. Next month. Okay. Well, that's why I put there was other stuff that I put in here just in case you okay, did kind of okay. come back to me. And so there, because I, we're going to have plenty of time to talk more and more about the first thing you just said. Sure. Yeah. Of course. And so here's the thing. Spencer Rattler is the key to this season. We can get into that later. If we're talking about like a storyline, that I mean, I'm looking at the offensive line. I, I mean, I think that's 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 the most compelling thing because what we have right now in the offensive line, we basically have we have Wanye Morris, we have Anton Harrison, we have Eric Swenson. What of who of those two are going to be the starters? I don't think we know. And also, you can throw in Tyrese Robinson and Chris Murray there. I don't think we have any idea who's going to start in those positions. I think everyone assumes that it's going to be Morris and Harrison. There's been a lot of things that I've heard over the offseason from coaches and also just looking at how good Swinson was in the second half of last season. Surprisingly good if you go and look at the numbers. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Swinson is one of those guys. Um, we, can, we can talk about whether or not it's a good development or not. Um, but I think, yeah, that's, that's clearly the biggest thing. I think um, if you're last season, I think the offensive line was probably the most con- inconsistent part of the team. Um, it was the running backs until Ramondre came back. But once Ramondre came back, that was that that position was completely solidified. They kind of go hand in hand, though, don't they? The old line and running backs. They're, they're kind of you're right. The same Ramond- way. Ramondre made that offensive line look a lot better than uh, than TJ Pleasure and Seth McGowan did and Marcus Major at times. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really going to be looking at the offensive line, especially with those five names I mentioned. What happens with Swinson, Harrison, Morris? Murray and Robinson. How's that going to shake out? I think we're going to see all five of those guys a ton this year. But what's the rotation going to look like? Those guys taking the next step, I think, is going to be a big, big deal because, right, we all kind of agree the offense, relatively speaking, was great last year relative to all of college football. From, yeah. from the heights of 16, 17, 18, and 19, I think they very obviously took a step back last season. Can they get back up? to that level, to the 16, 17, and 18 level? Can they get there? If so, I don't really know why they shouldn't be the favorite to win the national title. So, again, we've, we've debated this before on this podcast. I, yes, uh, 17, 18, sure, offensive-wise. I, I like the 2020 offense in, in a lot of ways a lot more than the 2019 offense. The 2019 offense was really good for the first half of the year. After that, it was one-dimensional. It, was, it made me want to throw up a lot of the time because Jalen Hurts couldn't throw the ball anymore. Uh, he couldn't – yeah. It's, and I, even though the early on in the year, Rattler was kind of hit and miss, even though I, I think he was really good for the most part the entire season, he was a lot more dynamic. And the offense, I think, was a lot more consistent from beginning to end in 2020, even with the running back situation being kind of in flux. But that's not the point of this, though. Do you want to comment? Oh, I mean, I, wanna, I, just, I disagree with you. I think, I think 2020 had a higher ceiling – than 2019 but results 2019 was clearly a better offense I I mean I don't think there's like your your opinions for for you know about Jalen Hurts notwithstanding like the actual like what happened on the field the 2019 I thought was clearly a better offense that that team led the team led the country in yards per play LSU didn't oh I think you need to double check that (laughs) 
I think you need to double check that. You go I'm double check, sure man. Well, I got I, I got a whole thing here to, to talk about my storyline, so you can double check as I get into it. And I think your storyline is perfect because mine is very similar, but it's more precise than your one storyline to watch for. And by the way, I do have some honorable mention storylines that I'll throw in at the end. But mine is: Did Andrew Rame actually win the starting center job during the spring? And since UCLA transfer Chris Murray was always assumed to win that job, if Rame is indeed the starter, does that mean that Andrew Rame is another potentially elite center like Creed Humphrey? Or does that just mean that Chris Murray isn't all that great at center and is actually better somewhere else? So my main storyline is, is Andrew Rame one, already the starting center? And if not, does he get beat out? Or, not or, but and or, is he a potentially as, as good as Creed Humphrey or like kind of in that line? Or is it just by necessity that nobody else is good enough to beat him out? So that's what I'm interested to see if he actually is the guy that wins the job. That's interesting. I like that. I like that a lot. I suppose if, if, if I was going to take your theme there, just to get a little more specific, I would say, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm probably really going to have a keen eye out for is, is, is Anton Harrison that dude? Is he? You know, you, you heard uh, what Lincoln Riley said, I think, last week at like the, the luncheon or whatever it was. Um, he mentioned Anton Harrison by name and said he's one of the most gifted linemen they've ever had come through here. That's I don't think you really I don't really think you say that with a grain of salt. You say that if you if, if it's true and people like understand that and know that in that building. Um, I'm excited. And I thought when we saw Anton Harrison last year, he looked pretty good pretty much at all times yeah. when he was out there. Um, yeah. what's it going to look like with a full off season? I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, uh, and, and a more normal off season yeah. than last year, I guess. Yeah. Of those five offensive linemen I mentioned, I, I'd be pretty comfortable going out on a limb and saying the only guy I'm positive is going to be a starter is Anton Harrison. That's one I'm, I'm fairly certain he's going to start. Interesting. I'm, I'll say this right now. I'm, I'm pretty confident Rame's going to start. Oh, oh think, same here. I Sorry, I didn't, I, I didn't comment on what you said. I, I think he's, my opinion, I think he's won the starting job. I, I heard, like, it was crazy because out of nowhere, like four or five days before the spring game, all of a sudden, Andrew Rames talking to the media, and he says, yeah, I'm taking reps with the first team at center. And I remember hearing him say that thing. I'm like, wait a second, he just he's the starting center right now? And sure enough, the spring game comes that Saturday, and Grant, you and I are both there at o, both there at Owen Field, and Andrew Rame trots out there as the starting center with the first team offense, at, with that first series. And just a, a refresher of the starting offensive line in the spring game from left to right, it was Wanya Morris, Marquise Hayes, Rame, Chris Murray, Eric Swinson, and there was two potential starters that were held out of the spring game, and that was. Tyrese Robinson and the aforementioned Anton Harrison and I also believe that transfer Robert Conjol did not play in the spring game as well and so that's eight players right there eight players that makes you think man Oklahoma's depth on the offensive line is fantastic it looks fantastic at least on paper right now and so the biggest question mark though for me and this goes back to what I started with since Creed Humphrey declared for the NFL draft we've wondered who's going to be the center Who's going to take a spot? Because he has been there, a steady force for the last three years. And I know, according to a lot of people who know more about offensive line play than, than I do, his Creed's play maybe diminished over time and or was a bit inconsistent. But I think that was always relative to the bar he set for himself as a freshman, his first year starting. 
And he ended up being a second-round draft pick, a, a high second-round pick. He could have been a first-round pick, potentially. He was projected as one up until the last year. And so, you know, depending on how things shake out in Kansas City, he might be snapping the ball to Pat Mahomes for his entire career. I mean, he's got a, he's got a great situation. But uh, I want to know and I want to see some great rapport between whoever plays center and whoever plays quarterback. I think it's going to be Rame. So hopefully Rame and Spencer Rattler are just best buds. And obviously you get bonus points if your center is a pretty good leader. Since Oklahoma has a lot of veterans on the offensive line, maybe you don't need Rame to be some sort of vocal leader. But if he's that dude, as people like to say, maybe he becomes a leader anyways if he gets that starting job and he's vocal and he can point everything out. But mostly I'll settle for good chemistry before this, uh, b- between the center and Rattler and also just uh, no bad snaps. So that's my main storyline, though. I'll be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't even think of Andrew Rame when I was going through these because in my mind, he's, that's where he is. He's the center. Um, and you're, I mean, and like, it's, it's probably naive on my part just to not even think about it and just assume that's going to be okay. Especially when you're, you know, when you're, when you're replacing Creed Humphrey, but I it just, I can only go on feeling right. And I just, I really don't feel like that's going to be an issue this year. I think he's going to be fine. I just, I'm, I'm much, much more yeah. concerned about the tackles. Cause I think that's more important. Put it this way. Uh, in 2017, Eric Swinson was a center. He was a veteran. Eric Swinson is uh he was not a highly touted recruit from what I understand. He was a guy he was a blue that, chip. Oh, he was a blue chip. He was a four star okay. guy. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Never mind then. Not like Forget a super my, my point. He wasn't like ranked like he was a four star, but like wasn't in the top two fifty or something like that. He was um the word on Swinson was that, you know, he was a late he was a late uh basically Michigan no, kicked no, him out of the recruiting class. He was oh, a late oh, oh, my bad. What did I say Swinson? My bad. I, I'm sorry. I, I said the wrong guy. I was, gonna, I was going back to 2017. Eric Wren. Oh, Eric Wren. Yeah. He was a walk-on. My bad. My bad. He was a walk-on. Okay. That's, yes, you're right about Swenson. I, I said the wrong thing. That, that's my mistake. I, I meant to talk about Wren. And so my point was going to be Eric Wren, 2017, walk-on, veteran player, performed admirably with Baker Mayfield. He was, he was good. That offensive line was really good in 2017. You got Creed Humphrey, who's got a lot more talent, and Andrew Rame is built more like a Creed Humphrey, where the blue chipper type recruit, uh, not that it matters that much, but a local guy in Oklahoma like Creed Humphrey was. So when you say that you're not that worried about it and you think it'll be fine, I'm kind of with you because it makes sense. I mean, especially if he's able to jump that far ahead in the spring and basically take over that job. And the question is, will he be able to hold on to that job now that we're getting closer to the season? He's a, yeah, he's, he's a highly touted guy. He really is. And just to give yeah. you a little bit of OU football history, because I know you weren't super paying attention at that point yet, um, Eric Wren actually, uh, he replaced Jonathan Alvarez at center in the TCU game in 2016. So that, would, I think, was the fourth game of the season. Uh, kind of the sticking point of that game was it was the game that Wren replaced Alvarez at center, and also that was the game, that was the game where they first inserted, uh, inserted Ben Powers into the starting offensive line. And they didn't lose another game the rest of the season. They didn't lose again until they lost to Iowa State in 2017. Ugh. How dare you bring up that game? All right, I got some honorable mention storylines I'm paying attention to. So if you have any other, other storylines you want to throw out there, you can, you can do it here in a second. Uh, my honorable mention, first one, is Oklahoma's running backs room going to grow? 
AKA, are they going to add any more players? It's almost start of fall camp. They haven't, as far as I know. I don't know if they're going to add anybody else, but I'm curious to see if that room is going to grow. Is it possible to grow once fall camp starts? I don't know. Uh, that's that's a position where they only have four scholarship guys, and so that the running back room that is there, second one. They only have three scholarship Jayden. guys. I think Knowles is um, like Knowles right now is the fourth stringer, isn't he? I think the only scholarship guys they have are Gray, Brooks, and uh, Bradford. Well, no, Marcus Major is still there. He's oh, a scholarship guy. I forgot about Major. I'm sorry, Marcus. Yeah, don't. That's, but still, that's only four. And as fall camp goes on, well, I I don't know. I mean, you got attrition. Who, I mean, obviously, you don't want any injuries, but that's that's a little dangerous. I mean, going in there, we know how Oklahoma was thin at running back a season ago. Uh, we're really excited about the top two guys. After that, it's like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, by the way, Lincoln Riley at Media Day said that he thinks he has two starting running backs, Gray and Brooks. Well, no kidding, Lincoln Riley. But also, it's a subtle way of him saying, my God, <laughs> I have two guys, <laughs> and I hope they stay healthy. That's the way I looked at it. Uh, okay, my other honorable mention storylines, Jaden Hazelwood. How does he look, and what is his role going to be in 2021? Because at Big 12 Media Days, Jeremiah Hall told News 9 Sports Director Dean Blevins that Hazelwood is back to being 100%. Also, speaking of wide receivers, Theo Weiss, we saw him at the spring game, Grant, and he had one of those little like cart things with his – he had a leg injury or whatever. He didn't play in the spring game. But Riley said that uh, at the start of July, Theo Weiss became full go, so that's a good sign. I've seen a lot of uh... – and I don't, I don't creep or anything. I've, I've seen a lot of pictures of him on social media. Benny Wiley does a lot of stuff like on Instagram with him. And I've, I've seen Weiss in a lot of those. And he's, he's up moving around and he looks good. He looks physically, he looks great. Okay. So there's that. So Hazelwood, Weiss, and then also how fast can Mike Woods catch on? He wasn't here for the spring. He's a guy that we, we think can be a, a pretty big contributor considering he was one of the best receivers in the SEC last year. Dude dude caught a touchdown pass in the Arkansas spring game and then the next day committed to OU. <laughs> <laughs> He's like... <laughs> I like Fayetteville, that guy a lot. Bunnies, I'm out. Yeah, so I, so the, the Mike Woods thing. So the receiver group, once again, is going to be pretty interesting. It, and obviously, man, if Jaden Hazelwood is truly back to 100%, and Theo Weiss is good to go. And if Mike Woodson catch on, all of a sudden the receiver room looks a lot better than it did last year, Grant. And, oh, by the way, Marvin Mims is still on the team as far as I, I know. So, uh, all right. And so my last honorable mention, though, is basically just any information we get out of the secondary nickel position. Sure, Jeremiah Cradell is the guy supposedly, but also, hey, I like Billy Bowman a lot. We're going to hear a lot about Billy Bowman. I don't know. Pat Fields didn't practice all during the spring. Is Pat Fields... Maybe going to get his job taken? Probably not. He's a veteran senior guy, but makes you wonder, how's Key Lawrence looking? How, what about Latrell McCutcheon, another one of those incoming freshmen? And then all the other players that are already on the roster, that have been on the roster for a year or two that we all like, what do we hear about them? So anything with the secondary, it must be a new Oklahoma football season grant because I want to know about the secondary. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that, and I will be... Uh, Always excited about the secondary, and hopefully this is not like 2018 where my excitement was immediately just ran. I shouldn't say immediately. By about week three is when you realized, oh, no, the secondary is uh, problematic. Problematic. I am. 
you're right. Like, obviously, the secondary is a big deal, and this how good or bad the secondary is is really going to define OU season in a lot of ways, probably, especially playing in the Big 12. I guess maybe when I was thinking about this, the secondary was a small afterthought for me, Lee, because I think OU has two really good corners, and that just makes me feel much more comfortable about everything. Not only do they have, I think they have two really good corners with, with Graham and Washington, but I think the guys behind them are pretty good college football players too. We've seen Jaden Davis, and he's, he's had some bad moments, but I, I, I would argue he's had more good moments than bad moments. He's a bulldog. He definitely competes out there. Um, we've heard a lot of great things about Latrell McCutcheon. Um, and, and just, you know, Justin Harrington is in that room too. I'm not sure if he's going to be a safety or corner. Nobody knows at this point. Um, I just, I, it's crazy. It is a far cry. From when you know, from Starlin Baldwin being in that room, and you know, other guys, I you know, I I can't think. Of. What is uh? You always always just pick on Starlin Baldwin. <laughs> well, that's the one that always that always that's the one that always kind of jumps out to me. I don't know why. I know that's mean. Or like Dakota Austin is a good one too. I mean, this is we're we're real long ways away from that. Um, and that just makes me feel good. And and I've always I, I kind of have a man crush on DJ Graham. You know, everyone ev- everyone who, who's listening to this knows that. So I, I just. The corners give me kind of a warm and fuzzy feeling inside. I think they're going to be really good at corner. But of course, I've, I, you know, I reserve the right to change my mind the first time they play a good passing team. Uh, late, late career Jordan Thomas, another guy you can just kind of cringe at because something happened to him, man. The thing is, you just didn't... The, the crazy thing about Jordan Thomas was you didn't see him in 2015 when he was legitimately terrific that year like he was the OU's corners that season were really good and then yeah and then he just sort of just he just completely fell off a cliff (laughs) all right next fall camp storyline or next uh next prompt I have for you who is an unexpected guy that will be generating a lot of buzz from the coaching staff let's say about three to four weeks from now on both sides of the ball but do I not go to offense uh, or defense do I not get to say my uh, my backup uh, storylines? Oh, I yeah. Underrated oh, I, didn't, I didn't know you. Yeah, go ahead. I didn't know you had any. Well, so, yeah, you kind of threw a little cold water on what I was going to say earlier. I say, hey, yeah, the storyline is, you know, can Spence, you know can, can Rattler and the offense take that next step? And I had a ton of notes here, and you just sort of pulled a lot of, poured a ton of, you know, cold water on that. So, yeah. No, well, just I feel to, like you should save that for the big, big old season preview thing where we're going to probably talk about that. Well, I mean, they're not, these are all just just stream of consciousness uh, thoughts. And so I just, I kind of wanted to just add to what you said. Um, and this is going to be more of a general thing, but I just, I, I think health, I'm going to be watching health. I think that's a huge storyline going into this season. Cause I think, uh, I think health is really going to determine um, in some position groups, health is going to be a major factor. Essentially. I'm mostly thinking of tight end here. Um, Austin Stogner basically missed half of last season after, uh, the knee injury and then the weird, I know he had some other medical issues uh, that kept him out the rest. He, he played in the Cotton Bowl too. Um, but I'm thinking in this situation, I'm thinking of, of Austin Stogner and Braden Willis, Lee. Braden Willis has never been healthy at OU. That's kind of been, that's kind of defined his entire time at OU. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, and I think his health has made people overlook him a lot just because he hasn't been able to stay on the field. But I think I think Braden Willis could potentially actually be a pretty big part of this offense. And I say that because he's a freak of an athlete. At times last season, we saw him go over the middle and take shots and still hold on to the ball. 
And I just queue up that 2019 TCU game and see the touchdown that he scored, where he he caught he he kind of mossed somebody, and then he had to he had to stretch, uh, he had to lunge for the goal line. Not a lot of people in the world can make that play. That's an elite athlete play that he made. I desperately want to see him healthy because maybe he will unlock a different potential for that room because I think Willis and Stogner are pretty different. Stogner is kind of more of a lumbering guy. He's more of a big body. He's going to try to body people up. I think Willis is more of an athlete who can, who, who can not going to say he's going to be great in space or anything, but he can run better than Stogner for sure. Yeah, I love Braden Willis, and everything you say is correct. It's just I, it with him, it's always got a giant asterisk because he's never on the field. So, I I don't I don't necessarily overlook him. It's just at this point, I feel like it's just a bonus if he's on the field because he's very rarely been out there. And yeah, if he's full, you know, you get Braden Willis for a full season unabated. Yeah, there's tons of possibilities for what he can do and, and how he could help the offense uh, be even more dynamic than it already is. So, uh, yeah, I, he is a freak athlete. He's built like a Greek god, and he just needs to stay, stay healthy. Yeah, that guy, that guy passes the, uh, the mugshot test. And what I say there, it's that, so you go into their, like go into the Sooner Sports profile and look at, their, look at their picture, the picture of their face. Do they look like a professional athlete? Braden Willis absolutely like passes that test. Looks like a professional model. Yeah, that's a good point. But no, the only the <laughs> reason I bring him, it up, yeah. Lee, is because having two really good tight ends is a massive luxury in football. You can do a lot of fun stuff with that, matchup-wise. Um, so I think if, if, if Willis can stay healthy, if Stogner can stay healthy, those are two guys that are big, but still kind of different, where you can do a lot of things with them and confuse the defense. Um, I'm excited for that. I, you know, I'd love to see what, what Riley can do with a healthy tight end room and two ones that you can count on down the field. That'd be sweet. That'd be awesome. Um, and then, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm right there with you. You bring up Hazelwood. Can he be the one to step up? Um, I guess I would just say as, as a general storyline, who is going to step up to be the big play threat after Marvin Mims? We know Mims is going to be a big play guy. That guy's awesome. He's very good. Can Hazelwood do it? Can Mike Woods do it? Is Mario Williams going to do it? Can Drake Stoops fill that role? Probably not, but maybe. Um, did, can Mike? Did I say Mike Woods already? Can, can Mike Woods be yeah, that guy? Yeah, I mean that that was his mo at Arkansas, so he, he's a decent prediction. It's just how how quickly can he be part of this offense? And then I start thinking to myself, gosh, is it realistic that all of these guys take a step and they're all really good? And if that's the case, what can the offense look like? That's not like, and that's a thing where I keep going back and forth. Am I being a homer thinking? Gosh, man, what if all of these guys can take a step? Is it, is it that crazy to think all of them could just be really good and they come out and play well? It's not, it's not like, well, the, yeah. Well, I was going to say the blueprint to that or the comp to what you're putting out there is, is obviously best case scenario is essentially the 2019 LSU offense. You can, I, I think you can, you can throw Alabama and the last, ends. I can, I can, you can throw Alabama the last fusion there just with their receiving core. With Smith and Mechie and um, Waddle. Well, I was thinking, yeah, I, I guess Bama had, I guess their tight ends weren't as well known. And I mean, uh, Irv with, Smith, uh, LSU, they had, they had, Smith they had the Moss. Yeah, good. that's right. They had Irv Smith. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Alabama, that works as well. Because obviously you see those pictures from a handful of years ago where it's got all these first round draft picks just standing there, whether it's Devontae Smith, 
uh, Waddle, um, the dude at uh, the dude. Oh, Jerry in, Judy. I forgot about Judy. Judy, and then who's the guy? I, I feel like I'm missing one. The guy that uh, it's in, it's with the uh, Raiders. Was, is that Waddle? No. No, that's um. Oh, why? Why am I that guy? He's got one of the coolest names ever. I don't know why it's not coming to me. He's just really. He's just super fast. Super fast. Yeah, he went before name. Hollywood for some reason. Um. Oh, Rugs. Henry Rugs. Yeah, Henry Rugs. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So yeah, all these all these first round guys. Yeah. I mean, it's like all I, right. I, so I don't think it's realistic to think that OU is going to have a bunch of first round, you know, picks in the no. receiver, and that's not going to happen. But can all of them be really good college players? Yeah, I think that's kind of realistic. All right. You ready for the next prompt? I'm ready. All right. Who is an unexpected guy that three to four weeks from now, the coaching staff are going to be buzzing about on both sides of the football? Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Yeah, you can start. All right. I'll start on offense. And I found this to be a pretty difficult topic. So both of these are kind of dart throws. I feel like a little bit more confident in my defensive one, but still not that much confident. But offensively, definitely a dart throw. And I'm going to say true freshman receiver Cody Jackson is going to be the guy because Mario Williams, we all know about him. He got a lot of love during the spring. So if he was getting a lot of buzz, it would not be very shocking, uh, you know, in fall camp. And Jackson's another guy who was a pretty highly touted recruit been a little bit more under the radar than Mario Williams. So I'm just going to go out and say that he gets some praise later on in camp. And, you know, maybe perhaps he and Caleb Williams on the second team are making a connection there, and they're kind of standing out. So I'm going to go Cody Jackson. I, I like that one. I like that one. He's a guy, um, when I saw him at, you know, in person at the spring game, he's a guy whose size really jumps out at you. He's very long. Um, and so – Man, get him in the like you know the weight program, and if he can really fill out that body, he can be a, a physical force for sure. Um, continuing sort of the theme of the freshman receivers, what about Jaleel Farouk? He was not a you know he he, he was not an early enrollee, so he's coming in for the first time this week. Um, he's a guy I, I I really liked his high school tape. Um, I, he's kind of a bigger, thicker body. Um, I think he's definitely more of a possession type over the middle guy. Um, but I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if we start to hear rumblings of, "Wow, this guy's pretty good. This guy's doing what he needs to do." But I actually didn't have him as my as 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 my guy. Um, my guy's Trey Bradford. I think like I think that's almost certainly going to happen. I feel like if if we're actually trying like Vegas wise, we're actually trying to get it right. I think he's gonna. I, I think he's gonna be one of the big stories of camp. Yeah, you're probably right. I think he'll end up being. The guy behind uh, Gray and Brooks, and so I wasn't even thinking about him because I was thinking more like unexpected people, and I just kind of expect him to get some praise. And I think he was getting some praise. When did he see? He he definitely got some praise. I think over the summer, I know they like him a lot. Teddy Lehman, I uh, was was saying that he was hearing really good things about him. That was on a podcast or, or a radio thing. If you, I saw, I just heard the small little clip. I, I don't know if it yeah. was a podcast or radio. So yeah, if he was on there, if this is Las Vegas and you got odds, he probably would be in minus money, I bet. I feel like he wouldn't even be plus money. He would be like minus 200 or something to, to be the guy that gets praised because 
because uh, I mean that running back room is so it's so small compared to what where it's been in the past. Like it, it's almost like he kind of has to stand out. Uh, okay, defensively, what were you thinking on defense? All right, I'll go first on this one. This one I think is more interesting because I think there's probably a lot more realistic options here. So I have a question to ask you. You know, first here. Do, I mean, are, are we going to go with like, if, I, I suppose if these guys are obvious, they, they're, they're probably not for this prompt, right? And so this, I, right, I asked, right. is, is Danny Stutzman or, or, or Latrell McCutcheon unexpected? Pro- probably not, right? I haven't, uh, I mean, Stutzman, I don't, I know nothing about him. So I, if, uh, the if he's getting early word on him up, is that then. he is a, he is a verifiable stud. I saw he was like a three-star rivals player. He's that good? Sometimes they miss. Sometimes the recruiting services miss. Um, but hmm. actually, no. So I, I, I put those first two there. But I actually went with two others, Lee, that I, that I think may surprise you a little bit. Jordan Kelly and Caleb Kelly. So um, well, I know... Jordan, I mean, Jordan Kelly wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he's a guy that we're expecting to, to be a pretty big contributor this year. Yeah, I, I guess... Uh, Caleb Kelly, sure. Sure. I guess I would say maybe maybe you know Jordan Kelly wouldn't be a guy that you were thinking of when you were thinking about this question. Um, I'm just I'm just kind of taken at that that same luncheon that I mentioned earlier. Uh, Calvin Thibodeau named Jordan Kelly by name as somebody who has really taken a big step and is and is starting to make a lot of plays. Um, gosh, man, if if OU has a stud making plays behind Perry and Winfrey, I, I don't I don't really I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. That would be a big deal. Um, and the reason I bring up Caleb Kelly is, I mean, he was playing over Deshaun White in the 2019 Big 12 Championship game when he was coming back from that injury, from, from his first ACL tear. So if he's fully healthy, can he be a factor this season? I saw him in person at the spring game. He looks freaking huge. Looks great physically. Um, but also, man, how nice is it that we're going into this season and we're expecting Caleb Kelly to be the fourth or fifth linebacker? I think you know that's that's definitely a testament to the talent infusion, uh, especially yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. That is outstanding. That a guy like Caleb Kelly and Kelly's been he's you know when he's been out there he's been fine. He's had some really good moments. He's had some not so great moments. But if he's your gosh man, he's potentially your third string linebacker. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, and according to Caleb Kelly, when he spoke during the spring, I want to say it was a spring. And he always does really well with the media, and he's a he's a media guy. He was working within OU Journal Gaylord College, and that's where I graduated from. And he was always you all might know that he he would help out, and he would kind of be behind the scenes during press conferences and working with the students there. So he kind of has a media background more so than a lot of college kids. He kind of wants to do it. Point being, he's very good at explaining himself. He's very good at talking. He goes into detail. He kind of, he knows what we're looking for as media when we ask him questions. But according to him, he said that before he got hurt, the last time he tore his ACL again or whatever it was, he was starting in camp like a year ago. He was a starter. And so, I, I, heck, maybe, maybe he's going to be a starter as well. And as long as he doesn't get hurt, heck, maybe Caleb Kelly actually will be starting. Heck, I he will, lost his job because he got hurt last year. I will, I will say if, so, if Caleb Kelly is, is starting on this team, I, I will be very surprised. Um, that's not, that's nothing against Caleb Kelly. It's more of, I just, I, I think David Aguebu and Brian Asamoah are really good. And I, I don't, oh, I, yeah. it, I, I, it, I think it would the be a height, testament to how good yeah. Kelly is. Yeah. I think the highs of Aguebu and Asamoah that we saw last year 
are are greater than the highs that we've seen from Kelly throughout his entire year. That's I mean that's my opinion. Uh, but I I would love to see Caleb Kelly just kind of explode out of nowhere and have a great season. That's one of those things where if 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 OU can have some other guys develop and and sort of emerge as really good players, that just allows Alex Grinch to do a bunch more creative things if he doesn't have to worry about other guys' responsibilities and covering up their deficiencies. So maybe Caleb Kelly can be sort of a shock trooper in that in that sense. Are all the other guys around him taking care of their business so, Kel- so Caleb Kelly can just run around uh, and I guess be like a heat-seeking missile like Kenneth Murray was? I don't know. We'll see. All right, so my defensive unexpected guy that will be generating buzz let's say three to four weeks from now, I thought way outside the box. And by outside the box, definitely a guy that nobody really thinks a lot about on the defensive side of the ball. And so I'm going to go with linebacker Jamal Morris. It's his third year in the program. We all know he was a safety at first. Last year, he transitioned to linebacker. All he's known is Alex Grinch and Brian Odom as his position coaches. So in theory, he could be developing into an under-the-radar contributor at linebacker. And everyone knows about Asamoa. Everyone knows about Aguebu, Deshaun White, Caleb Kelly, even Shane Witter. That's a, a popular guy getting a lot of buzz. And Morris is mostly an afterthought. Brian Odom said some nice things about him in the spring. So my defensive dart throw is going to be Jamal Morris. And, again, way outside the box with that one. Yeah, you know, I... Jamal Morris, everyone was pretty pumped uh, when, the Sooners, when he signed with the Sooners, which is understandable. He's a four-star defensive guy, so everyone was pumped. And he, you know, he came out of high school as a safety, especially at that position. That's why everyone was excited. You know, I, I don't know if Jamal Morris is ever really going to contribute here. I, I don't know. Like, obviously, I hope he comes out of nowhere and is really good and has a good season and, and contributes. But when I look at Jamal Morris, I, that's another one of those things. When I talk about the talent infusion... I look at someone like Jamal Morris, and I use that as a marker for, man, this program is just at a different level than it was uh, you know, a handful of years ago. I feel like in 2014, 2015, you get a four-star defensive guy. They're bringing him in, and they're going to rely on him to, to do a lot of things for the defense. The fact that, that he's now probably, he was moved to linebacker, and he's probably sixth in line, I would guess, behind Meade at linebacker, or uh, seventh. I'm not really sure. Who, Mor- who Morris? Morris, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, yeah six. Said, It'd be I six mean, because the top four, Igwebu, Asamoa, Kelly, Witter, then Meade, then Morris um, is basically, but I mean, you got Danny Stutzman in there now too. So who, like, who knows? But the reason I bring up, the reason I say as a marker for where the program is coming is that it's kind of a nice thing that, oh, you got this four-star safety and he's sort of kind of receded into the background. He's maybe just sort of depth at this point in time. And they don't need him. It's not, it's, it's not a big deal that he hasn't developed and turned into a really good player for OU. When I feel like three or four years ago, they would have been relying on him developing to become a good player. That's just not the case anymore. Sure. And I wonder if it says anything about Morris as far as where he thinks he stands on the team that he's, as far as we know, he hasn't entered the transfer portal he hasn't tried to leave the school he's still trying to fight it out and win a start you know win some playing time win some snaps I don't know I mean I guess you could say that about a lot of guys on the roster but that's what you want to his third year yeah yeah uh all right we got about 10 ish minutes left we're gonna have to zoom through the last couple here 
Next prompt we have. So, Grant, whenever we're allowed to go to practice and watch practice for a little bit, if that even happens this year, because obviously last year didn't happen, this year still unclear uh, if we're going to get to go and, and watch a practice or two. But let's say it happens. All eyes are going to be on either this position group or this player. Your answer. It's going to be the receivers versus the DBs, man. That's what it has to be. Mm. That's what it has to be. Um, and I guess I, I have one little blurb here. If OU can be very good at both of these position groups, I don't think that's a stretch at all. Both of these position groups can be very good. There's no one on OU's schedule currently who can compete with this team, period. I agree. I agree with that. Because, yeah, I mean, both of those position groups on you know, opposite, opposite sides of the ball have, ne- since we've been watching, at least I've been paying attention, this podcast has happened, have, have not consistently been really good that hasn't happened obviously and mainly it's the defense it's the secondary uh but uh even last year the wide receivers were they came up short and lincoln riley uh, made sure they knew about it for me i i decided to go with a player so if if i'm you know if i'm able to get out there for the open practice sometimes with my schedule i can't make it we'll see hopefully i can first person i'm looking at austin stogner what's he look like is he 100 percent How's he walking? How's he moving? How's he running? He's a big uh, I mean, deal he, this year. You know, he mit- yep. You know, last season, we all know, he missed almost eight weeks, and that was a total of three games. And then he came back. He played in the Cotton Bowl a little bit against Florida, had one catch in that game, minimal action, had that sleeve on his leg. Didn't look like he was fully healthy, but in there just to be in there which is great i'm glad i'm glad he wanted to do that glad he wanted to get out there and we all know he's a huge weapon for rattler he's a huge weapon for this offense so his health is just so very important especially when you mentioned Braden willis earlier Braden willis has been on and off this field i mean both tight ends now have health potential health problems hopefully they don't hopefully that's wrong so uh, when i get inside practice if I'm, if I'm able to get inside practice my eyes will definitely be on how austin stogner is moving around out there I think there is a reality, right, where Stogner's the number two guy on this team, right? I mean, that wouldn't be, that's another thing that wouldn't shock me. I don't think that's if, likely, yeah. but um, it, I, mean, I don't if, think if it was surprising. It's as bad as they say it was. Yeah. Um, all right. Lastly, in the fall camp storyline prompts, and again, we're going to save a lot of these other questions we have on our rundown for later because we got to get out of here because of time. Of the presumed starters, who would you be least surprised to see lose their job in fall camp? And you can pick between offense, defense, both. I just have one guy in my mind. but uh, Sure. Um, so Pat Fields yeah, is too ahead. easy. Uh, I think that's kind of the one that everyone would sort of jump to right away. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with the secondary theme, and I'm going to say Jeremiah Cradell. I don't think that would surprise anyone if, he, if his job gets taken throughout the course of the season. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I did Pat Fields, uh, but I, I'm going to qualify it, though, and I kind of briefly touched on it earlier in the episode. I don't think he's going to lose a starting job because he's a senior veteran. Alex Grinch loves him, and just because he missed spring ball, uh, it's okay. He's generally been a consistent player for Alex Grinch, so I don't think he's going to lose his job. That being said, we all know that Alex Grinch plays a ton of players on defense, and so plenty of other players are, are going to get snaps in the secondary. And so 
even though Pat Fields is going to be the starter week one, those position battles are going to continue into the early part of the season until Alex Grinch sees what he wants to see fully. And if you ask Alex Grinch, guaranteed, say, for the entirety of the season, I want to be able to rotate in and out guys all the time He because he loves that. He wants to keep people fresh. He would love to be able to mix in and out corners and safeties. But at the same time, though, that would be a tough thing because what if a guy is really good? You're not going to want to take him off the field. Like, obviously, Parnell Motley never left the field when he was out there. Um, I mean, DTY and Pat Fields never left the field for 2019. DTY very rarely ever leaves the field in 2020. So, uh, Would it surprise you if DTY so yeah, lost his job? Yeah, I would be. Yeah, I would be too. Yeah. He And also, and I talked about this earlier podcast months ago, or maybe weeks ago, but another reason why it wouldn't be crazy for Pat Fields to lose his job. Pat Fields, remember I did the whole rewatch thing? my 2019 and 2020 defensive back rewatch. And in 2019, we saw two different, by the way, we saw two different Pat Fields in those two years. In 2019, he was one of the best players in Oklahoma secondary, according to my grading system. Only Parnell Motley graded up, out higher in 2019. But last year in 2020, Fields graded out as Oklahoma's worst defensive back on my grading scale. Uh, he was one of only two players who were in the negatives, negative points, and the other guy was Buki, who was no longer on this team. So uh, that like he did not play that well last year. Pat Fields didn't. Uh, to be fair to those guys, though, and I, I want to just put into context, the big reason why they were in negative, <laughs> negative points came from one game, that Iowa State game in October. They were, they were both not good in that game, and they got a lot of demerits. And they were never able to really make up for it the rest of the season. It was a whole lot of just either uh, nothing, they didn't really do much, um, or you know had a kind of a bad game and maybe one or two good plays. Uh, but the best, the best grades I gave last year, Trey Norwood had the best grade, didn't even play the full season, had somehow got that the best grade, followed by Woody Washington and followed by DJ Graham. And, and two of those three guys are coming back, and I think DTY was right behind Graham. So Yeah, I think... Um I think DTY is sort of, Destin's not the right word, but I think he's sort of poised to have, and you're not going to know that, but he's kind of poised to have like a Quentin Hayes slash Gabe Lynn slash Stephen Parker type of senior season. Um, and DTY is, was better than those first two guys mentioned throughout his career until their senior seasons. Uh, but DTY was just, he was terrific in 2019. And I saw, you know, last year, I don't think we saw him flash as much. So... I'm kind of hoping that he puts it all together a little more. Um, we know he's good in the box. Um, can he be better in coverage? Can he be better, um, you know, tackling in the open field? Because a lot of times he kind of tries to deliver those massive killer hits. Sometimes he misses. So, but I, you know, I, I, I think DTY is, is safe. It would surprise me if he loses his job. Um, man, I had another interesting thing to say about fields, but I, I totally. Oh, uh, you mentioned the Iowa State game uh, from last season in Ames. And that, of course, that's the last game they lost as a program. I really hope that game is still fresh in their mind and still is brought up in, in, in the building. I really hope it is. Uh, because Iowa State has kind of used that game as their launching off point to basically think that they're the cat's pajamas. And OU played <laughs> just very poorly in that game. Um, and, and You know who didn't play poorly? Rattler? <laughs> Spencer Rattler, with the exception of his last pick, which is a really poor decision. So I, I'm just saying, I, I, 
I hope, and it wouldn't shock me if that if that game is still very, very much on their mind, and they use it as motivation inside the building. I hope they do, because that you game would DTY piss me and- off if I was on that team. That game would endlessly piss me off. Oh, if I'm a secondary player for Oklahoma, I'm I'm watching film of that all the time just to get my blood boiling over and over again. Uh, especially if I'm Pat Fields, uh, even though he didn't, he never wants to watch it again. All those picks he dropped, but you got to man, and just be mad and just make you work even harder because my god <laughs> that was brock purdy just saying here take it oh nope we don't want it by the way you mentioned dty and tackling 2019 i marked him down for seven missed tackles last year three and a half nice so good, good pull. tackling last year good pull granted he he they did play what two two fewer games last season or three uh three so they usually play 14. Also could have factored right? in. Yeah. With the conference championship, it's 14. Yeah. Yeah. It, so DTY, he graded out 2019, 2020, about the same, about the same. Uh, the, the, he had a lot more good plays in 2019. So when you say he was, fa- he was fantastic in 2019, he had a lot more graded good plays by my standard. Uh, he didn't have as many good plays in 2020, but he had, a, he only had, when I counted two, only two bad plays the entire Steady year. Steady Eddie. DTY. And then you throw in the, the three and a half missed tackles. So missed tackles aren't good. So te- if you want to say technically, I, I switched up bad plays and missed tackles. be two separate categories just to keep track of missed tackles. But either way, very consistent player. Did his job. Very good. All right, we have so many more things we wanted to get to in this show, but we just don't have time to. So we're going to hold on to it. And we're going to talk about it next week. And... Also, by the time we get to next week, we're going to have spring practice. We're going to have comments from people. We're going to maybe have some updates on how things are going the first few days. So we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about. And that includes Oklahoma to SEC stuff. We have some viewer, viewer. We have some listener questions on that and thoughts on, on uh, fall camp. So there's a lot of content we didn't get to. We apologize, but uh, we will get to you guys later. I'm excited to... Uh I'm not sure if we're planning it. We've, we've done this in the past, but I'm kind of excited to dig in to some of the teams that are on their schedule maybe a little bit. Do just kind of a small little preview of those guys, just maybe our thoughts about them. Um, that's something I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for, just because um, this season of college football is going to be really, really unique uh, in the sense that there's just a ton of returning production this season everywhere, like at every program everywhere, except for Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. So that's pretty great. So um, I don't know. It's, it's, it, I'm so excited for this season. This is going to be a great year of college football. I do think it's ironic, though, that in a season that I really do believe is probably going to be the last uh, in the existence of the Big 12, I think this is the best the conference has been in maybe a decade going into this season. <laughs> I think that's pretty, that's pretty funny. Very interesting. So yeah, we'll have to get into that at some point. We got about a month. September 4th at Tulane. We're, uh, by the time you listen to this podcast, we're about a month away. We're August 4th. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right. Uh, all right, so we'll be back next week. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.